Matthew 19. We're starting a new, a new chapter this evening. And uh, verse number 1, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee, came into the coast of Judea, beyond Jordan, and great multitude followed him, and he healed them there. Uh, you'll notice as we come into 19, come back to chapter 4, we come to, uh, he says, Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, um, and what he's talking about is the information in chapter 16 through 18. So he has finished talking to them. Uh, you need Matthew 4. Uh, he's finished talking to them about his rejection, about the fact that he was going to the cross, and uh, the result of the, which is the result of the rejection. And uh, then their, they, their testimony, their training begins as his replacements. And when we come into 19.1, where he departed from Galilee, we're finishing the Galilean ministry. It started in chapter 4 and verse number 12. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And from that point to 19.1, you have the Galilean ministry, it's called. And uh, he's uh, now going to go back to Judea, uh, go back to chapter 19. And he's going to go back into Judea. He's going to go down south a little bit. Uh, he's been way up north. He's been up in the northern territory, the Sea of Galilee and everything. Now he's coming back down into Judea. And as he's making the trip, he's, verse 2, 19-2, he's healing uh, them. He's, he carries on his ministry of healing and uh, and, and doing what he was doing in, uh, in amongst the people. Then in verse 3, 19, 3, the Pharisees also came unto him. So he's out carrying on his ministry, and who, look who shows up. The religious leaders, the Pharisees. And what do they say? What do they do? They're tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And the Pharisees, their reaction to the miracles, to the healing that he's doing, is not to talk about what he was doing, but to argue now with him. And he is now going to begin to argue with the Pharisees. He's going to begin to argue with them, not about doctrine. None of this is about what's going on. Notice they pull a passage out of Deuteronomy they're going to talk about now. If you come back to chapter 14 of Matthew, Matthew 14 and verse 36, and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Again, there's tremendous healing ministry going on, right? 15.1. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tra tra traditions of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. They ignore what he just did, the miracles, and the impact of those miracles that they were having and were designed to have, and had the, that preaching and showing the 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 teaching value that they added, and rather they start arguing over technical little, really, I would say stupid stuff. They're just nitpicking instead of recognizing who he is and what he's doing and the significance of it. They're over here thinking about how many angels will fit on the head of a pen. It's kind of stupid stuff. Come on down into chapter 15. Verse 37, and they did all eat and were filled, and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets full, and they that did eat were 4,000 men beside women and children, and he sent away the multitude. So you got 4,000 men, the feeding of the 4,000 here, 
16.1, the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. Again, he, what did he just do? He just provided, he fed, he, he showed himself to be Jehovah, Messiah, the provider. And what do the Pharisees and the Sadducees, what do the leadership do? We're going to argue now. And we're going to, they're going to argue, they're going to tempt him. They're going to try him here. So when you come back to 19.3, this is nothing new. This is the mode of operandi. They're going to come along now, and they're going to try, and, and they're going to try to get him. And in verse 3, when he says, Then the Pharisees also came, saying, I'm sorry, also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? They're tempting him. They're testing him. They're trying him out. And what they're trying to do is to get him to make a mistake, okay? And, the, and, and when Satan in the, in the temptation back in chapter 4, all he's trying to do is get the Lord to go again, slip up and say something that the book, that his word doesn't say. And that's the reason why your Bible is so important, because it is exactly what God said. And what Satan does is he comes down, and he does this all through the ages. He's not just here. What did he say to Eve? Yea, hath God said, and then he lied to Eve <laughs> and said, you won't die. You surely won't die. You know, he, he questioned, and then he threw that little lie. So they questioned him, and uh, they, they questioned him, they questioned him, and it's over repeatedly all the way through. Now, look at chapter 22 of Matthew. Very fascinating here in Matthew 22. By the way, when they question him over and over like that, he doesn't bat an eye. He doesn't get worried. He just answers them. Actually, in 19, he's going to say, Have you not read? Didn't you read the scriptures? What you're going to come after me with, you haven't even read the verses, dude. <laughs> look, 22, Matthew 22, look at verse 46. And no man was able to answer him a word. They've, they've asked him a question, and when they ask him a question, you know what he does? He answers them. Then he begins, in chapter 22, asking them a question, and you know what they can't do? They can't answer him. Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. You know what he did? He shut them up. He shut them down. So when you come back here to chapter 19 now, they're going to ask him a question. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And what they're, again, what they're trying to do is they're just playing a little game to try to get him to trip up, all right? Now, he's going to answer verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read? Now, the passage that he's talking about is going to be Deuteronomy chapter 24 is what they're going to be talking about. We'll go over there here in just a minute. And he's going to be talking about here, Have ye not read? He's talking about Genesis 1 and 2. Okay, Because what they're going to do now is they're going to come back and they're going to begin to question him about the issue and the subject matter of divorce. Okay? And what happens today in the age of grace is people pull Matthew 19 out as the standard on how you handle divorce and remarriage. Okay? Well, if you understand your Bible rightly divided, what do you quickly know? Matthew 19 ain't talking to me. Talking to Israel, if you want to know about divorce and remarriage, you go over and read Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. We'll go over there in just a little bit. Look at it, okay? Because he'll help you right now. But what this does is it brings up what then is the Bible's standard about marriage and what it is. And this is one of those transdispensational things because what it is in the Old Testament, as far as marriage is concerned, is what it is even for us today. Okay? You follow that. So we're going to 
kind of go get ugly here for a little bit, and you'll but it's in answering these guys. Verse 4. They're, again, they're trying to catch him off guard. They're trying to catch him in a, oh, but, you know, you slipped, and here it is. Well, they think he's what? He's just a guy, and yet he's also God. <laughs> so he's not going to slip up, but they try. All right, verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read? Again, that's a great thing there. You talk to people today, that's a... Man, oh, the Bible says this. Really? Have you read that passage that you're quoting? You know, <laughs> No, I haven't. Well, maybe you ought to. That he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. Now, notice he made them. Jesus Christ believed in creation. He wasn't a... Uh, uh, an evolutionist. He wasn't a Christian science person. He was a, he believed in creation. He told them right there every, that he, that where everybody came from was where God made them. And at the beginning, what did he do? He made them male and female and said, for this cause shall a man leave his father, leave father and mother, and cleave, un, and, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Now you have to notice very carefully that the two become one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Now, you'll notice what he's, who he's describing is Adam and Eve. You come back to Genesis, um, Genesis chapter number 2. All right? He's describing Adam and Eve. He's describing the first marriage, and, uh, which is ironic because yesterday I had marriage counseling, uh, premarital counseling with a young couple going to get married here in October, okay? And it's interesting, we, you go back here to, to Genesis 2, and what you begin to say is, and what the Lord is saying to them is, hey, you guys asked a question about divorce and your wife, you need, first of all, you need to remember what marriage is all about, what it is what it means in Scripture. So he takes them all the way back to the first marriage, which is the standard. By the way, Ephesians 5, Paul takes you back to Genesis 2. Here's the standard. Here's the, the deal. Okay? They've, they're trying to trip him up by saying, hey, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause, give her a divorce, kick her out? Is that lawful? Well... No, you're not understanding what Deuteronomy 24 is saying, <laughs> okay? When you come into Genesis, the first 11 chapters of Genesis deals with the first 2,000 years of human history, okay? And what Genesis 1 through 11 does is it, real quickly, over time, is it, shows and it brings about the and the issue really in the first 11 chapters by the way chapter 12 to 50 whatever 50 what I, I just had it in my head 50 it is 50 covers about 490 500 years something like that 2,000 years quickly because the beginning of Genesis and the reason for that is Genesis is identifying the four institutions that God created into, into humanity. And there are four divine institutions. And what he did was these, institu these four institutions are for the establishment of the human race. And these four institutions, we've talked about them before, I'll say them to you here in just a second, they, they are critical for the advancement of the human race. As soon as they begin to break down, 
then society around will break down. The first one is the issue of volition. The fact that you, as a man, have the ability to personally choose your own destiny and to make your own choices and therefore be accountable and be responsible for those choices. Okay? Adam was created this way. You're created this way. This is the most basic issue in establishing mankind. The issue of choice, volition, free will. By the way, if someone ever tells you free will is not in the Bible, they, don't, they have not read. <laughs> okay? In, in, in Numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus, there's a thing called a free will offering that they're to bring. Okay, they have their tithe system. They got a, they got specific things, and now they got a free will. You know what you can do? You can bring above and beyond, but whatever you would like to bring. Okay, so apple pie on Sunday sounds good. All right, the second institution is marriage. I'm on a diet, so okay, and I'm dying. Sugar-free apple pie. There you go. The blah. <laughs> oh man, sugar-free would work. So the second institution is marriage, okay? And that's what we're talking about here in Matthew 19. And marriage is the exercise of that volition where two people, Adam and Eve here, choose to come together and to join themselves together in a contract, in a covenant, if you will, of companionship for the rest of their days, for their life. They choose to join themselves together and be husband and wife. And marriage is for the protection of the third institution, which is the family. So marriage is the basis of the family. Volition is the basis of marriage. Follow that? So then you've got family. By the way, you think about Adam and Eve, we're going to read it here in a minute, but you think about Adam and Eve, they chose to commit themselves to each other in a marriage relationship. Okay? Then the marriage is going to be the basis of the family. It's there for the protection of the family. The family is the third institution, and it's the most basic building block of society. And a stable marriage produces a stable family, and then the, that stable family produces a stable society. And then the fourth institution is built on the family, and that's the issue, the institution of nationalism. Okay? Now, Satan attacks each one of these. By the way, the attack on nationalism is called internationalism, globalism. Tax nationalism removes the sovereignty stuff. But what breaks all of it down is a breakdown here. It's a reverse order, okay? Or it can come this way. Depends on what's going on. Those four institutions, volition, marriage, family, and nationalism, all right, are the... For the establishment of the human race, when you want to look around and you begin to see a breakdown in a nation, you will first find an attack on the volition, being able to make a choice and be responsible for that choice. Then you will see an attack on marriage, which then is going to lead to an attack on what? Or the breakdown of the family which then leads to a breakdown of the nation. It's an inside thing. When you look through history and you see Rome, the great empire Rome, Rome fell from within because you know what it did? It killed the family, it killed marriage, and then it went after and it killed people's ability to make a choice. Okay, sum up all that history real quick for you. Marriage, though, which is where we're talking about in Matthew 19, where he says, wherefore they are no more twain, but, what, one flesh? 
See, that's what we're talking about. Marriage is the very basic foundational block in the perpetuating of the human race. And the Pharisees are asking a question, and he says, you need, you haven't even read this back there in Genesis 2. You're in Genesis 2, right? Okay. We need to go back there. Now, the issue in marriage is that issue of they were two, and now they're one. They were twain, and now they're one. And that expression, one flesh, describes what the Bible calls marriage. So if you want God's definition, there was a thing on Facebook, a guy was talking about marriage. It's not a civil institution, okay? The state just taxes it. That's all they're doing. It's not even, it's not even a ceremony isn't the issue. Standing in front of the preacher isn't the issue. Now that's every girl's dream is to have a big church wedding, or it used to be. I don't know today. <laughs> today they're... It's in a plane to Vegas and do it through the drive-thru, I guess. I don't know. But the thing of it is, is when you come to the, to the Word and you begin to look at what Scripture says, it's where there's no longer two and they become one flesh. And that expression, one flesh, is the definition of what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Now watch it happen here in Genesis 2. You start there in verse 18. And, God, and the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. Okay? God looked down, saw man, perceived, saw man needed a companion. All right? He's out there working. Verse 19, And out of the ground of the Lord, uh, and, and out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast. And you see him bring... The at all the creatures, verse 19 and 20, to Adam. Okay, Adam didn't just you, 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 the Sunday school picture is Adam sitting on a stump, God's sitting over here, and the, the lion and all that comes up, and you see God go, Lion, lion, and whispering to Adam to what the no, Adam went out, he studied them, he looked out, he watched them, he paid attention to them. He, he looked at every little detail and, and, and all of that, okay? And when he did that, he began to notice something about them, about their characteristics, thus the name. He didn't look at that long-legged long long thing and say giraffe. He, you know, he looked at it, watched it, and paid attention to it. God never corrected him. That was the name Adam gave. Now, watch the end of verse 20. Because the end of verse 20 is, is, the, is the thing. For, but for Adam, there was not found a helpmeet for him. Adam spends all this time watching the animal kingdom, and you know what it is? Male and female, two of them. Two of them. And what Adam, what Adam began to experience was an issue of loneliness was an issue of incompleteness, of a, wait a minute, there's two, the, the, where's my help me? I don't have a help me, see. That's what Adam began to experience. Verse 23, I'm sorry, verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof, and the, and, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Now, that must have been quite a sight, <laughs> you know. Now, you have to understand when he says there, made he a woman. One commentary guy said he stacked her, okay. He built her. And when Adam saw her, because what's he going to do? Verse 23, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken. And when that woman, whoa, man, where have you been all my life? <laughs> You're the only girl for me. He, he stacked her. He built her. And that's, again, that's what one commentary guy was saying, okay? But that's the idea because look at what Adam did. He said, wait a minute, whoa, man, 
look at that. Look at you. Now he has a helpmeet. Okay? Now watch verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be, what? One flesh. The point is the woman is taken out of man. And in marriage, what do you see happen? The woman and the man are there. She, she comes out of him, of Adam. Now in marriage, what do they do? They go back together. That's what they do. Adam is out working, sees the illustration in the animal kingdom, says, man, I'm, a, I'm alone. There's no one here for me. God says, that's okay. Go to sleep. Boom. And the human race has never been the same since. <laughs> okay. And what happens is, and, that, and that's how you understand, like back in chapter 1 there, I was talking to, uh, to one of the guys, where in like in chapter 1, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. See that issue about creating? But what did he put in Adam? Adam was complete. He had everything in him. But when he's looking at creation, what does he see? Nobody for me. So God said, that's okay. We'll make somebody for you. Pulls Eve out, woman out. But marriage does what? Brings that unity back together. You follow that? All right. I hope so. The point there again is marriage is what causes man and woman, husband and wife, to have that oneness again. They become one flesh. Now, marriage is not a ceremony where you're going to stand. You're in Genesis. Come over to chapter 16. In front of a preacher or a justice of the peace or whatever, you, you, know, you, you know, when you say I do, you know, talking to the young couple yesterday we were, or last yesterday afternoon, we're talking about some of this. Marriage in Scripture is when the two become one. It's a physical, a, a physical kind of a thing that has to do with that physical relationship, the consummation of the marriage, they call it. Peter talks about uh, the honor of the, of the marriage bed. That's where it is. So what happens then is society and culture gets in there and causes all the other shenanigans to happen. And, and I mean, I got two daughters and a son. If they're going to get married, then, you know, we got to foot the bill to have the marriage and everything. I don't think they're ever going to get married, at least right not right now. You know, the rate they're going at is pretty slow. But that isn't the issue. The issue is when they come together and the two become one flesh. And that in Scripture is what's considered marriage. Now, look at Genesis 16 and watch verse number 3. So Genesis 16, you've got Ishmael is the issue. Abraham has just been told by God, he believed God, it was counted for righteousness, that he was going to have a seed. So verse 1, now Sarah, Sarai, Abraham, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaiden, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. Okay? Verse 3, and Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abraham, to be his what? To be his wife. Now, do you think they had a ceremony where the priest came down and did the yabba dabba doos? Do you, do you, do you, do you? No, not at all. What happened? Verse 4. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived her mistress was despised in her eyes what did abraham do he went in the marriage bed situation but what is hagar called his wife so god says hagar was married and it was abraham's married wife and the way that that marriage took place didn't have anything to do with a ceremony, 
but rather it had to do with them, the physical relationship. Okay? Come over to Genesis 29. Genesis 29. Um, by the way, if you write down Isaiah 54.1, just let's go over there and look at that real quick, just so you see. Isaiah 54, it's just not one time there. Isaiah 54 and verse number 1. Isaiah 54, 1. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear, break forth into song and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. That's a reference to Sarah. Okay? For more are the children of the desolate, Sarah, than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Who's the married wife? Hagar. Who had the kid, I should say. Hagar. Abraham had two wives, Sarah and Hagar. When you think about, biblically, what marriage is talking about. Uh, Genesis 29. Genesis 29. Genesis 29, 21. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my, what? My wife. For my days are fulfilled that I may go in unto her. Who's he looking for? Who's Jacob looking for? He's looking for Rachel, isn't he? Verse 22. And Laban gathered together all the men of the palace of the place and made a feast, and it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him, and he went in unto her, and Laban gave unto his daughter Leah uh, Zephah, his maid, for a handmaiden. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah, and he said to Laban, What is this thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? <laughs> who's his wife? Now it's Leah. Verse 26, And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. And that's where all the tradition came about the firstborn needs to be married off first, and then, the, you know, all that mess is right there. Okay? Verse 27, Fulfill her week, and we will, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. By the way, notice how a week equals seven years. That helps you with Daniel 9. Verse 28, And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel his daughter to wife also. So Jacob, there's an indication here that he has two wives, doesn't it? <laughs> He's got them both. So when you go back here to Matthew 19, marriage in the Scripture is a little different than what tradition out there says. Marriage is a very serious proposition. Marriage is a commitment of a man and a woman to, to one another to, to live a loving, intimate relationship. And the ultimate expression of that intimacy is the thing that makes marriage marriage in the Bible. That's what it is. The two become one. And it's serious. Now, you come back there to Matthew 19. Jesus here, when they're asking him about marriage, about, hey, is it okay to put your wife away, give her a bill of divorcement? Is it okay to go do that? He's like, wait a second. What God joined, let no man put asunder. The answer is no. And the answer there is a big no. <laughs> it's a serious thing. Now, Matthew 19, look at verse 6. Wherefore, they are no more twain but one flesh. If you, I, in marriage, I, I talk with the young folks. We talk about tennis as an illustration. You play singles. You win, you lose. It's all about you. It's all about I. But when you get into marriage, it's now you're playing doubles. It's a we win, a we, we lose, we play. It's a we, not an I. And the problem that comes up in marriage is the I problem. 
selfishness, the sin of selfishness. I want to have it my way, so I'm going to do blah, blah, blah. You know, no, it's we. Now, there's roles to be played. You know, you think about today in the age of grace, we're all equal. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. But yet we've come together to, 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 ha to play roles. And I say play not in a, in a play out in the sandbox, but to do roles, the role of a husband and the role of a wife. And when you study Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 7, but Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, it's very clear when you're talking about the roles of a husband and a role of a wife that they are integral, integrated together. And when I talk with folks and, you know, people say, hey, we're having issues, most of the time the issue is someone's not playing their role. They decided it's all about me. When it's not, it's all about us and we and the, 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 the together. By the way, Genesis 2 up there, where the husband leaves the father and mother and cleaves, and they two become one flesh, the end of that verse is a period. That means children are not the marriage. Children are the family. The marriage is husband and wife, mom and dad. The children... So I hear people, oh, we're staying together for the kids. Wrong, wrong, wrong. You're not. You're being selfish. Figure it out. All right, Matthew 19. I get one rabbit trail, right? <laughs> okay, Matthew 19, look at verse 6. Folks, this is, marriage is a serious issue in Scripture. It's not so much serious anymore in our culture, in America. It used to be very serious. The, the whole thing with um, the, the history and the backdrop of having a marriage ceremony out in public, okay, it was to protect the honor of the young lady getting married so that there couldn't be any, you know, I, I was watching uh, Last Man Standing, Tim Allen, and he's, one of his daughters has got a boyfriend now, and he keeps calling it, none of that shenanigans. <laughs> well... If you see a man and a woman going into a house, well, what's going on? Now there's a dispert, there's a shenanigan gossip rumor go. Well, you protect that by having a public demonstration of a ceremony that says they are married. <laughs> so just chill there, Chatty Cathy. You know, just back off, okay? Anyway, nowadays, I, I tell you what, you can almost marry anything or anyone today that you want. They, it's just unreal what they've done to marriage in, this, in, our, in our nation. And because of that, you see the mess we're in today. So, all right, I'll get off this, the soapbox. Verse 6, Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. In other words, God's definition of marriage is that which is joined together. And when God says that's marriage, then you know what? You don't let anybody put it asunder. Verse 7, they say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? Okay? So he said, the Lord says, this is what marriage is, guys. And they say, yeah, but back there in Deuteronomy 24, you know what Moses did? He said, give her a bill of divorcement and put her away. So you've got to go back to Deuteronomy 24. All right, you're still in Matthew 19, though. Hang on, hang on to Matthew, because we need verse 8. All right. He said unto them, Matthew 19, 8, he said unto them, Moses because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. You have to notice very carefully the change in the, in the words here from verse 7 to verse 8. They said, why then did Moses command to give a writing of divorcement? The Lord says, no, 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 you didn't read that verse. 
you didn't pay attention to what Moses said. He didn't command it. Moses didn't command the bill of the written of divorcement. Rather, he allowed you to do it. He just regulated your sinful activities. He wasn't saying that it was okay to do it. He, he wasn't saying this is the right thing and this is the way marriage is supposed to work with divorcement. I talked to the young people when they're, I said, you know, we're going to talk about the, the, the big D word and it never comes up. And they're like, D word, what is that? <laughs> okay, well, that's good. Then they're not paying attention to it. They've had good moms and dads at home, okay? <laughs> well, because what happens? Oh, you know, you're having a bad day and it starts at the crack of dawn. And the next thing you know, you're at work and somebody says, hey, just get rid of her. Get, go get a new one. Go get a new model. You know, divorce her. Well, what? No. Moses here, he says, you guys are out there just living any old way you want to live. And because of the hardness and the rebellion of your hearts, when the law came in, God set up a way for them to get out because of their rebellion. And God was gracious under that law program to give them a way out because of their rebellion and their refusal to function as he had established marriage to function. Now, go back to Deuteronomy 24, and I just want to read this so you see where this is coming from. It's the first four verses, Deuteronomy 24.1. When a man had taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanliness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and sendeth her out of, the, of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. And after that, she is defiled, for that is abomination before the Lord, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. And you go, huh? But it's in the first verse there. When a man have taken a wife, and, he found, and she find no favor in his eyes. That's why they said, back here in Matthew 19, can you just give her a divorcement for, uh, is it lawful, 19.3, uh, is it lawful to put away his wife for every cause? And the Lord says, no, it is not. You misunderstand what marriage is. And what, what Moses, I'm, go back to Matthew 19 now. What Moses does is because of the hardness of your hearts, because you guys are sitting over there being a, being a rebellious wife, here's a way to fix that. Okay? Now, 19.9. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. Now watch verse 9 very carefully because this is where the people today pull this stuff into us today and say, well, if she, the, the exception there, but first notice how the verse starts. And I said, un, say unto you. In verse 7, they said unto him, why did Moses then command? You know what the Lord said? Moses said this, but I say, what did he do back in chapter 5? Go back there to chapter 5 of Matthew. Matthew 5, verse 31. Matthew 5, 31. It hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you. See that issue there? This is what the law said. The law said, verse 31, but I said this, verse 32. There's a contrast. Moses un under the law. Here's the regulation. Here's the rule. But now under the kingdom program, I'm, I'm saying to you, and he takes it a little further. Okay? 
He goes, he says, here's what the old says, and here's what the new says. Here's what this one, here's what Moses said, but here's what I'm saying to you. Come over to Luke 16. Watch it here. Luke 16. Did Moses say writer of bill of divorcement? Yes. But it wasn't what marriage, it wasn't to get them out of marriage. It was because of their rebellion and because of their sin. Follow that. And what the Lord says is, no, you guys are not paying attention to, have ye not read? You didn't even go, you couldn't even tell me where you found that. You couldn't even find Deuteronomy 24. <laughs> is what he says. That's not what marriage is about. What did I tell you? Luke 16, verse 16. The law and the prophets were until who? Until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. The law and the prophets, Moses back there and the prophets were until John. That's all there was. But since John the Baptist came on the scene, now the issue of the kingdom is what's being preached. And every man presses into it. So that's the issue now. Moses said, go back to Matthew 19. Moses said there's a set of regulations that was true. But there's a dispensational change now in the instructions about it. From Adam to Moses, it was this way. Okay? No divorce. It was simply what God joined together, let no man put asunder. That was the regulation. Then, with Moses to Christ, there was an ability to get this written writing of divorcement, and God allowed it. He suffered it. It wasn't his choice. It wasn't his will, but he allowed it in order to regulate their sinful activity. But here, now, but now here is a third set of instructions about this, and it has to do in connection with the preaching of the kingdom now. And that's the rest of verse 9, where he says, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication. See that? There's the exception. And shall marry another, committeth adultery. So if you get rid of your wife for any other reason other than fornication, you've committed adultery. And if you go out there and you marry someone that's been put away, you then committed adultery. So you, there's the, uh, the exception rule that throw, gets thrown in. In Mark and in Luke, in these passages in Mark and Luke, so Mark 10, Luke 16, there is no exception rule. In Matthew 5 and in Matthew 19 is the only places where you find this so-called exception clause. And that is that there's no divorce except for the cause of fornication. You can't divorce and remarry except in the case of fornication. And the reason for that, you know the difference between fornication and adultery. Okay, right? Adultery... Fornication and adultery are not really, not exactly different. Adultery is said to be, uh, uh, if the person is already married and they're stepping out with someone else, having an affair, we would say. And fornication, again, if you look it up in the dictionary, it's, it's not that they, are, it's, it's talking about people that are not married, and yet what are they doing? Out there, stepping out. But in the scripture... Fornication is not necessarily someone that isn't married. Fornication in the word in, in, in scripture is is the word it's it's the is it, it's the word that we get our word pornography from. Pornea. And it's a issue in scripture. Fornication is that constant, repeated over and over and over adultery. It isn't just having one mistress 
it's having ten mistress. It isn't just having ten, it's having a hundred. It's, it's this constantly, i got to have it over and over. And again, it's that craving, that, that sin. Uh, in Second Peter 2, he, he says that they're, it is, it's, their eyes are filled with sin. They're filled with adultery. They can't cease from it. they can't, they got to have. That's the issue in Scripture of fornication. So here, if the wife is committing fornication, what's she got? She's got a whole bunch of husbands, because what's marriage? Two come together, make one, see? You follow that? So fornication isn't a definition in the book over here of, of non-married people out fooling around. Fornication in Scripture is, hey, you're just, it's, it's this compulsion, and it's this craving, and, and you know your old flesh is like a pig. It's just got to have more, 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 more. And in this area, that's what he's talking about, okay? Now, come back with me to Jeremiah chapter 3. Why, then, is there an exception clause in Matthew? Why is it here? Well, when Christ gave the regulation with regard to the kingdom... He lists an exception, and that exception reflects exactly the dispensational dealings of God with Israel. So just like the regulations under the law reflects God's dealing with Israel under the law, it demonstrates the hardness, the rebellion, the sinfulness of of the people. That's what the law does. Remember, The law is the knowledge of sin. It exposes the sinner. So here, the exception, except for adultery, for fornication, is something that reflects the broad dispensational dealing now because God's moving them out of the what? The law and the prophets, and he's moving them into the kingdom. Okay? Follow that. Jeremiah 3, watch verse 7. And I said, after she, the she here is Israel, specifically the northern ten tribes. Okay? And I said, after she had done all these things, turn thou unto me. But she returned not. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw. When for all the cause whereby backsliding Israel, watch now, committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorcement, yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but also went and played the harlot also. Why did God give Israel a divorce? For her what? Her adultery. Now, this is spiritual adultery. Because what's she been out there doing? She's been out there playing the harlot with all these other gods. Okay? Spirit, th- he's talking here about her spiritual unfaithfulness to him. God, God divorced Israel, the northern ten tribes, and then he, he put her away, he let her go off into captivity, and then he turned to Judah and said, Judah, you see that? It'll happen to you too unless you do. And you know what she said? Enough, we want it too. Come back, come over to Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50. She played the harlot. And again, this is spiritual fornication. Over there in Revelation with 144,000, and they're called virgins. He's not talking about them not being married with kids. He's talking about them not committing the fornication, the adultery with old Jezebel and the Baal worship and the religion. Okay, the religion of the Antichrist, the religion of Satan. He says they haven't mixed in that at all. They're virgins. They're clean. Isaiah 50, verse number 1. Thus saith the Lord, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement whom I have put away? (laughs) Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have you sold yourselves, and for your transgression is your mother put away. What's he saying there? You did it to yourself is exactly right. The reason for the divorce was not me. 
it was what you did. And, it, and the fact is, is that spiritually, you guys are out there chasing Baal, Baal worship, and you've committed spiritual fornication. So what did God do? He gave her a bill of divorcement. He put her away. And they were playing the, the harlot. And they were going after other gods. And they were following the traditions of men. And they're following, uh, come back there to Matthew 19, they're following the religious system of the world. So the instructions here in Matthew 19, our instructions even that even the exception clause but it's given these instructions are given in light of the program dispensationally what god's doing with israel now is he's he you need to remember israel that that because i married you by the way he's going to remarry israel in the day in the kingdom out there He's going to go up to Israel, and he's going to rip up the bill of divorcement, and he's going to bring Israel back in, okay? He does it through the little flock, that nation, the believing remnant. But he's going to do that. Lo am I. It, okay, you're not my people. And then they become my people. They're vessels of dishonor in the, potter, in the potter's hands and the potter's clay, and now they're vessels of honor. Dishonor, all that stuff is what he's talking about here. Now, when it comes to us today in the age of grace, okay, Matthew 19, Deuteronomy 24 don't work for you and I. Okay, come over to 1 Corinthians um, chapter 6. Verse 16, 1 Corinthians 6, 16. Do this real quick and we'll be done. We'll pick up in verse 10 next time. 6.16. What? 1 Corinthians 6.16. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be what? So what's marriage today? The two become what? One. Now that's a rough verse because sometimes there's, we're, you know, people get out there and they get the fooling around and they got to, you know, Biblically, they got like 10 or 20 wives, or two wives, or one wife, or what, you know, or hundreds, who knows, okay? But, but the world, sinful man out there, they don't care. Now, you start in 1 Corinthians 7, and you look there at verse 1, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, I, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, nevertheless to avoid fornication. Let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have his own husband. And what happens here in 1 Corinthians 7 is Paul answers several questions that come up about marriage, okay? The first question that comes up about, well, what if you have a saving, uh, you have a spouse that is saved and a spouse that is not saved, how do you handle that situation? And he deals with it, okay? Then, he, then it comes up the issue about, well, what if you have a divorce? Can you get remarried? Or do you have to pull the old Roman Catholic idea where you got to wait till they die so you can go get remarried? And it, therefore, since you're waiting, you might as well chase them around and try to win them back. And they use that wonderful word, reconciliation, and they get all this hokey idea about, you know, if you get a divorce, you just can't do blah, you know. And, and Paul says, okay, hang on a minute. Here's the answer. Look at 28, 27. 1 Corinthians 7, 27. Art thou bound unto a wife? What's the answer? Yes. Seek not to be loosed. Okay, so what are you seeking not to do? Not to put her away, not to divorce her. Art thou loosed from a wife? Okay, a divorce happened. What do you do to seek not a wife? Okay, <laughs> you better remember verse 26. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. If you just went for a divorce, you better take a minute. You don't go, you're not out looking for another wife, okay? Now, what, look at verse 28 carefully. But, and if thou marry, 
Thou hast not, what? Sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. Now think about that and compare to what we just read a minute ago in Matthew. In Matthew 19, in the exception clause, is that you can put her away for fornication, right? But if you go marry her, you've committed what? Adultery. Okay? What does Paul say in the age of grace? What is the attitude? But, in it, but and if thou marry, thou hast not what? Sin. Are you looking for a divorce? No. But sometimes things in life happen where a divorce happens. So what about the, the divorced? What can they do according to verse 28? They can remarry. And if you remarry and she's a virgin or he's a virgin, never been married before, okay, that's the virgin issue, then guess what? They haven't sinned either. Matthew 19 condemned both. Paul says, no, the cross paid for it all. Nevertheless, what are you going to have trouble, though? In the flesh. <laughs> you, you know, because what is society's viewpoint on divorce? Today it is any time. It used to be a what? A stigma. You didn't want, you, you kept that hidden in the closet. It was that way back in the first century, too. Now, today it's not so much because it has become commonplace. But if you think about here within a local assembly, you're not broadcasting. I, you know, I got three divorces under my belt. I got five divorces on. You know, it's a badge of pride. Titus 3 says you don't do that. You don't brag about that stuff, see. So divorce and remarriage today, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 7, don't seek it. Divorce is a big no. No. That's how marriage you know, people say, well, how is marriage supposed to be and blah, all this stuff? You know, the perfect marriage is a relationship between Christ and the church, Ephesians 5. You and I, we will never have that kind of a relationship. We're to reflect that. We'll never have it. Why? Because of our old sinful flesh gets in the way. But, come on, look over at Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. I said a few minutes, and then we'll go a little longer here. But Ephesians 5. See, the thing is, folks, when you talk about dispensationally, we're not in Matthew 19 or Deuteronomy 24. We're in 1 Corinthians 7 and Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, you start there in verse, really the context starts in verse 18, but just 22, you got wives. 25, you got husbands. Now watch, husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and what? Gave himself for it. And then he goes down and he talks about the relationship between Christ and the church as it should be between husband and wife. Verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. You know, you... I walk down through this with the young people when they're going to get married, or I shouldn't say young people, when people get to get married, and you know that there's stuff in these stuff that you and I can't physically do with each other because of our sinful flesh, but we're to do what? Strive for it. See? Because there's a component. When he, it says that he gave himself for it. Five times he uses that term, Paul does, gave himself. How much of Christ, when he gave himself, how much did he give? 100%. I know no husband who can give 100%. They think they are, but eventually, don't look over. <laughs> I, my wife's at home. I, I know where she's at, you know. But you look, you, you're going to try, but what happens? The little fleshly things come popping up, and the next thing you know, he's like, yeah, I think I'll mail it in today, you know. <laughs> I'm going to go fishing. <laughs> I'm going hunting. See you later, honey, you know. Why? Because that's just how we are. Anyway, just know that there's no justification given in any dispensation. 
for the obtaining of a divorce. All right? In the age of grace, if it happens, you've you got to deal with it. But there is a have-not-sin clause if you decide down the road to get remarried. And I'll be honest with you, I know people who don't hold to that, who are right dividers and grace people. Why then is that such a no-no and you allow all the other stuff to be an okay, you know? And I don't understand that, never did. But anyway, we will get back into Matthew 19 next time. We'll pick up there in verse number 10 and we'll see the, the, we'll see how God is going to now bring and do for them and restore her, Israel, back as his wife again. We'll see that as we go on down through the chapter, okay? Just know today, go read 1 Corinthians 7. The only requirement in marriage, the end of 1 Corinthians 7, is that the, your spouse be in the Lord. If you're in the Lord, they need to be in the Lord. It doesn't say about race or color or anything. It just says in the Lord, you know. It's a wonderful, it's a liberating thing. You come out from underneath Matthew 19 going, cool, you know. Otherwise, you get stuck in that religious system, the churn, the treadmill, and you just run you amok, okay? All right, that ought to get me some emails this week, so we'll see, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, or for the evening, Lord. We thank you for everything that we have in your Son, and we thank you for the instructions that we have in your Word. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.